0: Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Once Broken Podcast. I'm Bianca Madison Amos. My guest today is Delois Deruba, creator of A Brown Girl Speaks, an Instagram page dedicated to educating, enlightening, and empowering black people. And today we're going to be discussing what it means to be a strong black woman and why that narrative is so detrimental to the black woman. Hi, Delois. Hey. How are you doing today?
1: I am I am excellent. I am excellent. I cannot complain.
0: That is very good to hear. So I'm so glad that we're here discussing this topic today because it's something that I think needs desperate attention. It's something that I've wanted to discuss for a very long time. And I'm so glad to have someone here who I know will have a lot to say about this. So the strong Black woman stereotype has existed for centuries. We see it in all the slave movies we see it everywhere i recently binged watched underground a television show that follows the story of african-american slaves and their journey to freedom and in one of the episodes in season two in a scene with patty cannon an infamous slave catcher uh, who captured both free and runaway slaves and sold them back into slavery um this scene was between her and her white biographer and he was discussing her inability to capture Rosalie, who is the star of the the show and a runaway slave who made it to freedom and went back to help others escape. And when talking about Rosalie, who is pregnant while going through literal hell, the biographer says, it is widely believed in some scientific circles that the Negro woman has an almost supernatural ability to bear pain. I had to pause the show. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at that point <laughs> to digest those words what do you think about the biographer's words and how is the strong black woman stereotype represented today ooh that
1: is a very loaded question
0: <laughs> um
1: le- let me let me start off by first saying i love underground um i love everything about underground um but i do want to just um correct one thing and and I want to say when we speak about the narratives that are brought forth in television let's try to use the term enslaved Africans versus uh, African-American slaves because our people were not slaves right when they left Africa and came to this nation they became slaves when they got here, but that's not the narrative we want to push. And I think using the right words is always going to draw a different level of consciousness, especially when we're speaking about our own culture. So yes. one thing I think yes, that's definitely.
0: Important. Definitely. Um, I
1: I I think that he made a really good point. It's a hard pill to swallow, but the truth of the matter is. They, when I say they, I'm referring to our captors that brought us here, uh, did everything and anything to us to break us in any way, shape or form. And our resilience, right? Our resilience is where this trope came from. Uh, They did lab tests on us. You know, we know about the stories of Henrietta Lacks and her contributions. To gynecology and how they used her as a human lab rat um, without any anesthetics, uh, you know, or in, in anything like that, you know, in order to sedate her in any way, shape, or form as they were doing all of these tests. And because of her ability to want to live and push to live, um, that's where this trope derived from. I think it's a horrible trope. I think it is a it is the trope that makes it hard for us as women, even today, to go into our doctor's office um, if the doctor does not look like us and tell them that we are in pain and be taken seriously. It is the narrative that has brought our uh, mortality rates during childbirth to where it is today. Um, it is the reason uh, Black people, and I say Black people, not just women, but Black men as husbands, boyfriends, and significant others are also in conversations when it comes to childbirth to moving more towards home births and doulas in helping to ensure um, their family is safe, heard, and kept intact versus trusting the people at the hospital. So no, we don't have any supernatural powers or anything like that. We have resilience. But I think that understanding that our resilience comes from constantly being given obstacles and hurdles to jump over, is that's our superpower.
0: Yes, yes, yes. How how did the strong Black woman manifest in your life?
1: Wow. Oh, my goodness. I You know, I thought about this question multiple different times. And I have to honestly say that, um, first of all, I am a woman of Caribbean heritage. So uh, I was born in Belize, Central America, um, grew up there, Until coming to the States with my mother, my grandmother, uh, my aunt, my dad, everyone, my brothers. uh, And I honestly will tell you that for me, it started culturally and then it evolved from there to something even greater. So, always, you know, seeing gender specific roles within culture and I remember as a kid looking around and saying, but why, but why, but why? I don't understand, but why? Mm. Um, I remember asking so many questions. And the interesting thing about the questions being asked is that I would get a different answer from my grandmother, who I'm very, very close to, than my mother. My mother would not give me an answer. My grandmother would always give me answers. And I'm very close to her. And the difference. Um, that I started to see, um, came from the fact that I had an unhappy mother, but a very happy grandmother who had divorced my grandfather. So (laughs) it was very, very interesting. Um, how did it manifest in my life? I think being able to have the two variations, um, which is in my mind at the time as I was growing up, it was very bizarre. You know, you have a grandmother who's older and 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 she seems more free, she seems more open, she seems more, yeah, I'm not doing that type of thing. And then you have a mother uh, who was very unhappy and she was very resentful and she believed that she was owed so much um, and that made her resentful. For myself, it took a actual two year bout with depression. And when I say two year, I had struggled with depression probably, probably all my life, right? But the one time where I couldn't get out of it, it was it 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 was about two two full years. I literally could not get out of it. I couldn't shake, I couldn't move. I I literally, I wouldn't, I didn't want to take a shower. I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to go to work. Um, I didn't want to do anything. Um, and in that, in that two years, I remember um, my husband coming in and seeing me crawled up on the floor, <laughs> curled up on the floor in the bathroom and like literally uh, just a hot mess. Mm-hmm. And um, he asked me, he just asked me, was I okay? And I told him no. And he walked out of the bathroom
0: when when did you burn your cape right after that literally right after that so um i guess
1: it's easier for me to 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 say that during all of the time i was battling with that the two-year depression and whatsoever um i couldn't turn to anyone i, I couldn't reach out to anyone um, no one, everyone was so used to seeing see me be the strong one. I was the one that, you know, I, I, I had been in the military, gotten out of the military. I was a mother of two. Um, I was the mom that uh, took my kids to every to their football games, to basketball games, to, you know, uh, dance practice, gymnastics practice, all of these things. I, I was doing all of those. Plus, I was, you know, I had finished my degrees and I had I was working in corporate America. I had a great uh, position within corporate America and all of those things. And that's all everybody saw. So if that's all they saw, you know, me reaching out for help, they just didn't believe it. You know, they were like, oh, you're going to get through this. Oh, you know, it's just, you'll you'll be okay. You know, and it was very, very difficult because I was still, I was like a functioning depressive. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I knew I I still had to go to work because, you know, the bills still had to get paid. I knew I still had to, you know, make sure um, my kids were okay. And that was the scariest part of it because I would literally... Take my son to football practice, you know. Take my daughter to gymnastics. Pick them up, help them do their homework, and then put them to bed. Go in my closet and just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. And so, as I was going through all of these emotions and these things that were happening, you know, I also um, reflected on my mom who had just divorced my dad, and was angry. She was very angry. And I Mm -hmm. think that that was the the wake-up call that I needed because in watching her suffer through her anger, it made me say, yeah, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person. And so I had to make the conscious decision to say, no, mm -mm, I have to live for me. I have to be okay for me. I have to figure out a way to put me first. And part of putting me first was saying no, saying no to everybody. If it did yes. not benefit me, the answer was no.
0: I I had my year of no, <laughs> I'd say, uh, myself while I was just trying to burn my cape. And I, I don't think that I've completely done it as yet. I still have bouts of time where I slip back into superhero Bianca, mm-hmm. the one that wants to be everything to everyone. And it's it's much easier now to recognize it. When I was growing up and in my early 20s, I didn't even recognize how much I was damaging myself. Mm. Uh, I didn't recognize how much I was suffering because the person who i was this strong black woman who i was was who i was raised to be it was who i saw my mother as the person that put up with so much from so many people the person that turned the other cheek all the time the person that just let people pretty much just get away with walking all over her and she did everything with a smile and she took care of the entire entire family and that is how that is what she was taught to be so I spent the greater part of my um, life so far being that person ever since I was a little girl, and as I hit around, you know, my mid twenties, and I had that—I had a period of—I dep- went through a period of depression myself, and I had no one. I had no one to call because I was always the one everybody called. I had no one. I—I I still don't know exactly how I was able to pull myself out of that dark hole. But I I, I know that as I came out of it, I knew I never wanted to go back there again. And it had to start with me saying no to anything that did not serve me. And I did that for quite some time until I got free of trying to always be everything to everyone so i still slip back into that mode every now and again i'm still working through that but i find that it just had to i had to get to that place where i was okay with saying no to to people and that is how i was able to free myself from i i call this bondage you know Mm -hmm. like this weight, this suffering um, that we go through to live up to this stereotype. So I had this mindset as well of being the independent Black woman. Mm. That one that (laughs) I don't need nobody to do anything for me. I I became a single mom at 21 years old. And I was like, I can do this. I can do it all. I am strong. I'm powerful. I'm all of these things, which at the time felt like really great things. And I mean, it's it's good to be all of those things. But do you feel like the independent Black woman is some version of the strong Black woman stereotype? And is it a defense mechanism, like a way of shielding ourselves from facing the pain that we're going through?
1: Wow. It's funny that you say that. And the reason why is because um, I I was reading something the other day and it said ultra independence is a trauma response. And I had to really examine that. And I have to 100 percent agree with you. Um, I think that as we were, as, as we were growing up, we see our moms being all to everybody and doing everything and whatsoever. And we get this idea that that is what a woman should be. I think the other portion of it is what we don't get to see is similar to what I conveyed to you, which was me getting the family settled and me going in the closet crying, right? So our family uh, only gets to see what we want them to see so let's 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 stop for one second and just consider, right? What we saw of our mothers was what they wanted us to see. What we didn't see was their breakdowns, their problems, their issues, their 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 vulnerabilities. And I think our inability to see those vulnerabilities pushes us in an independence route uh, that makes us feel as though, um, if we can't be this, then we have to be this, um, and it's 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 unrealistic, right? Because you 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 said it. You became a single parent, and you were saying, I don't need anyone. I'm going to do this. I have my child. My child is my driver in the things that you know. I want them to see, and I want them to emulate. But let me ask you again: Did your child see your vulnerabilities? No, he didn't. While you were being independent, right? No, no, he didn't. And see, and that is another piece. I had a conversation um, a few months back with my son. My son is 25. And um, he was talking to me briefly about his girlfriend. And he was like, mom, you know, she's so emotional. She's so this, she's so that. And it drives me up the wall. And I'm saying, why does it drive you up the wall? And he was like, I just want her to be stronger. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, her showing vulnerability is not her not being strong. And he was like, well, I didn't see this with you. And I said, and that was my fault. Let me own that. That was my fault. That didn't make it right. I need you to understand that she is a woman and her ability to demonstrate these things in front of you is an opportunity for you to realize she trusts you enough to be herself. And you need to celebrate that with her. And he was like, Mom, it's so hard. I said, I know. And I have to own that piece. You know, I have to own that. I didn't show you these things, right? Because I felt like, I didn't want you all to have to carry anything that actually belonged to me. But in essence, I did you a disservice because here you are in a relationship feeling that somebody else showing you their vulnerability, the person that you say you love and you care about is a bad thing and it makes them weak. And I mm-hmm. said, it's not, it's not a weakness. So I challenge anyone, right, to think about, think about that think about it in that essence and say, what when you're only showing one side of the coin to your family and your children and everything else, what are you not showing them? And when is it going to manifest again, whether in you or in them?
0: Yes. I want to talk about a little bit about something that you just touched on, which is letting people see us in our vulnerable moments. Mm-hmm. And that being strength, that being the ultimate strength. And When I was growing up, I never saw my mother cry. Mm. My mother went through hell. And I mean, it's not my place to tell her story. It's her story. But she went through hell. Mm -hmm. And I was there in the front row seat for all of it. But I never saw her cry. I never saw her break down. I've I've probably seen my mother cry twice in my entire life. And it's, it's since I've been an adult. And... So when I was at the lowest points in my life and struggling as a single mom, I never showed my son that either. And what I've found is that since I've started to be vulnerable, even with my child, my son is 11 years old and he is so emotionally intelligent and he is so loving and caring and so in tune with his own emotions. And that is that has probably happened in the last three years that I have started to be vulnerable in front of him. I can tell him when I'm not having a good day. I'm I'm, I'm okay with shedding tears in front of him. I mean, I'm not going to fill him in on everything that's going on in my life. There's some things that he doesn't need to know um, at his age, but I'm going to let him know when I am hurting because I want him to also be okay with sharing his feelings and being vulnerable. I don't want him to feel like he needs to be this macho man all the time because our children are suffering because of this. And I've been thinking a lot about how do I break this cycle? And I feel like the only way to do it is to show them, is to be vulnerable in front of them. What are your thoughts on this? How do we break this cycle of being, I wouldn't even just say the strong black woman, but the strong black person because our boys are suffering as a result of this as well.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Well, whew, I think that's a very loaded question um, because it, 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 there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to how do we break the cycle, right? So it starts, I think the initial uh, beginning of it begins with the self-actualization. So your, your ability to look at yourself, and see where you can do things better or where things have gone wrong and awry. And also, you know, as you mentioned, recognize the things that you saw that put you in the position to where you now emulate, you know, and being able to say, I need to break this. That's, that's the start. That's number one. You have people that are like 70 years old and they still can't do that piece, right? So just the self-actualization piece is is the first step, and that's number one. And I think that's where we start. The other piece is uh, finding ways to educate ourselves on how to become better human beings. And when I say better human beings, that means that once we have we have gone through self the self-actualization process, and we and we know that here's where our skeletons are, the things that we need to fix in in certain areas. Now, how do I get the education and the information that I need to start working on each angle of that piece by piece? It starts there, but it's not, there's not a one, 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 one size fits all approach because every person is different. Every person that you interact with is a little bit different. When it comes to uh, that independent woman thing, while I, I, I think it serves its purpose to give us empowerment uh, to some degree, I think it actually um, hinders us more than it helps us. Because when it's time for us to have a partner to help us, do we allow that person to help us? And what is the impact of us not allowing that person to help us? It's, oh, it's, Lord. Exactly. <laughs> It feeds right back into the strong black woman trope. This person, they don't they don't need me. They've got it. They can do it to all themselves. And in the meantime, you're sitting and you're saying to, you're thinking to yourself, this person doesn't even help me. This person doesn't do this. This person, you know, what do I need you for? It's a double-edged sword. And we have to be aware of that. You know what I mean? Yes.
0: Yes. My husband could tell you some stories about that. <laughs> Because it's been two years of me trying to undo this whole independent black woman vibe that I have going on that is not allowing my husband to be an equal partner. He constantly Mm. reminds me that I am doing too much. Mm. i am doing too much and he's here and he has to do his part and maybe it's just a mixture of not being used to that mm. uh in my past relationships and also the fact that that's what i saw growing up because my mom was also a single mom and mm-hmm. pretty much did everything herself but it's something that it's it's so hard to to snap out of to undo like i i constantly slip into independent Bianca mode. I got this, I got all of this, I can do all of this. And yeah. it's definitely something that is a work in progress for me. Now, when it comes to the strong black woman stereotype and those words, strong black woman, I I, I viewed it as a compliment, as something to be proud of for a very long time. And yeah. I've used it as a compliment to others. Like, girl, you, you're, you're so strong, you're just a strong black woman. And it recently, my sister-in-law said that about me uh, because of a lot of things that I went through um, in the last couple of years and I was able to just balance so much, but she was saying it to me and it just didn't make me feel good.
1: mm mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Like when yeah. she was saying like, oh my, we black women, we're so strong. You know, like, I can't believe how, many, how much you went through last year. So last year I was pregnant while going to school full-time, while working full-time. And she was like, oh my God, you're such a strong black woman. And it just did not make me feel good. Now, I think I've, over the last couple of years, I've started to see this stereotype as being dangerous, as being uh-huh. something that is just not healthy, it's not good, and it is ruining a lot of our lives. Why do you think that the, the strong Black woman stereotype is so harmful to us when we wear it as a compliment?
1: Wow. Um, I, I, I think it has morphed into a whole lot of different things. Um, I replace the word strong. Um, I don't allow people to call me strong in any way, shape, or form. I just I, I replace the word strong with resilient. Because I think resilient more captures what they are trying to tell me. I am able to do multiple things and still keep going. That doesn't make me strong. That makes me resilient. Um, I think saying, using the term strong, is almost like a, it's it's almost like a superhero. Superhero. We know that superheroes don't exist. So why would you put something that belongs to a superhero onto someone that is human. I am human. I had someone send me something and they are like, oh, you're so strong. You're so this and that. And I said, no, 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 no. I am human. I am capable of errors. I am capable of mistakes that may not come out the way I want it to come out. I'd rather be human because in being human, you understand that I'm not perfect and I don't want to be perfect. I think that the biggest thing that we get from our 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 mistakes are lessons, right? And because I believe that, I'm not a super, superhero. I don't want to be that. It's way too dangerous. I think we that terminology has been used in media, has been used in print, has been perpetuated all over um, various news sources that has impacted us more than anything else. It is the only thing positive, quote unquote, that they say about us in the media. Because if you think about it, do they use the same terminology to talk about white women? I don't <laughs> see strong on the I, I, I don't see strong on 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 the cover of of, of uh, you know, the the New York Post, when they're referring to white women. I don't see it on the cover of People. I don't see it on the cover of Vanity Fair when they're referring to white women. They don't do that. They find other words to substantiate the existence of white women, whereas it's only about our strength. No, no. Our people were human people that withstood so much and they overcame so that we could be here living their greatest of fantasies and dreams mm. but they were no they were no more human than we are you know and we have to change that narrative and that's why i think words are so important words are extremely important
0: one of the things that i've i struggled with for a long time is redefining strength because i i, I, I always saw strength as a positive it's a good word it's good to be strong and then when i realized that the strong black woman was harmful to me And was hurting me, I started to try to redefine what strength looked like for me. And I feel like a lot of us, we get to that place where we understand that this is dangerous, but we just don't know where to go from here. So I know that I need to lose this. I know that I need to burn this cave, but then how do I redefine strength? Because I don't want to be weak because we often see The opposite of strength, as we've been taught that it is, as weak. And how do we fix this? How do we redefine strength without seeing the opposite of it as weak or seeing that the replacement of it is weakness?
1: Mm. So I'm going to challenge you to... Look at it in a different perspective. Instead of wanting to redefine strength, how about you redefine what weakness looks like? Because I think that that's 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 the problem. You know, we view strength as we do. We we view weakness as the opposite of strength. But everything mm-hmm. tied to strength hinders us. So yes. why is it that every why why can't we say everything? Why can't we redefine what weakness looks like and says okay is is, is, is crying a sign of weakness? No, well, it is not. <laughs> exactly. So, here, exactly. so here's, the, here's the thing, right? If you have if you have a daughter and you have a son, right? And they're babies, they both cry. Is one one weaker than the other? No. You understand? It isn't until they get to a particular age that we turn around and say, hey, that's weakness. Don't do that. And I think we have, as Black people, we have good intentions for strength versus weakness based on the society in which we're growing up in, meaning, you know, America and everything else, right? Like, nobody's going to love you like your parents. But at the exact same time, we don't want to send our kids out there thinking that everybody is their parents, and they're going to treat them well and give them hugs. And, and, and it's going to be candy land all the time, right? So we have to, we have to, we have to teach them time and place for every single thing. You know, if your child is young and they're growing up in the hood, right? We know that showing weakness, in, in quotation marks, right, in the hood is not a good thing because it leaves them uh, uh, vulnerable to predators, meaning other kids, bullies, different types of things and whatsoever that may may, may cause them harm, long-term harm, right? Whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or any of those types of things. So. We wear strength as a protective armor, whether it's real or not, right? Against the outside world. The difference is that we don't know how to take it off in, in the areas where it's important or with the people that we say that we love and we care about. It has become an armor that is that that, that, that never comes off. And as a result of that, we are doing self harm. So in my opinion, I just feel like it's an ugly thing that we have to look more at the weakness point and educate on what weakness looks like in every scenario. Because in my opinion, you know, weakness is not a bad thing. Weakness is an opportunity thing. It's an opportunity for you to get better at something that you're not necessarily good at. Weakness is, you know, your ability to have a journey to grow upon. You know, I don't look at weakness as a bad thing. I, it doesn't have a negative connotation. Um, it it. it, it Strength or or being strong is more negative to me than being weak, because I don't want all of the the attachments of strength. I don't care about what weak. I I don't. Oh, you know, uh, someone will say, "Oh, you're weak because you can't hit a baseball." Yeah, but I can run really well. You know, (laughs) you know. So, you know, it's just not my thing. It doesn't mean anything else. It's It's just not my thing. If my boss tells me, "Well, your weakness is," You know, um, your inability to listen. And I'll say, huh, that's a growth opportunity for me. Okay. Let me get to that. Amen. Let's redefine it. Let's not, let's not look at it as a bad thing. You know, uh, you know, some of the conversations that I have with my husband, you know, when we, when I was in my, my, my year of no, and he was saying, well, you know, you're crying all the time. You were never this weak. I was like, yeah, my husband's from New Jersey. And so we always joke about this. Right. And I said, yeah, (laughs) but but you grew up in the hood and then growing up in the hood that may look weak to you, but I'm a woman. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it doesn't look the same to me. And I need you to reprogram yourself. To understand that this is what it looks like for a woman. And you have a daughter now, so you can't say that because it affects her too.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Ah, Deloitte, thank you so much for this conversation today. I, one, feel enlightened, which is what you do and you do it very, very well. And, um, yeah, this was such an electrifying and necessary conversation to have. So thank you so, so much for joining me today. I just want to hear more about how we would get in contact with you. If you want to learn more about what you do, uh, where do we go?
1: Absolutely. Um, you can catch me on Instagram uh, on my Instagram hashtag is a brown girl. speaks. Um, I use that platform all the time, um, just more so to share information and to enlighten people. My, my goal is not to change anyone. It's more to encourage you to think about things differently. So you can DM me any any at, uh, you know, brown girl speaks on Instagram.
0: Thank you again for being here today, Deloitte.
1: And thank you for having me, Bianca.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Once Broken Podcast. You can support the show by leaving your review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay real.